So I wanted to uh, get your reaction. We we saw uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. He's exasperated. I know. <laughs> Welcome to Pulp Fliction. This is the one where we review Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers' latest. I am Brandon Rabar, joined as always by Jacob Crisip and Rachel Jamison. We are Pulp Fliction, and uh, let's roll that beautiful bean footage. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... Ha! Faith! 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 Cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Obi, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stores everywhere. She sings the Thank you, Jacob. So, Hail Caesar, the latest from the Coen Brothers. It was interesting to me. Uh, let me read the synopsis really quick. This is quick and easy. A Hollywood fixer in the 1950s works to keep the studio stars in line. Which, for a movie, which I'll get into when I talk about it, without any real plot, that really pretty much sums up um, what the movie is. As vague as that seems, that's pretty spot on. It is. Yeah. I mean, that's really all that happens. Um, I'm going to let you guys give your thoughts first, though. Um, I thought it was curious. I will say this. This is all I want to say. I thought it was interesting that a Coen Brothers movie is usually really, really, you know, that's usually a late December, November release because they wanted to get into Oscar season. So I was worried about this because it was coming out, you know, at the very beginning of the year, which is usually where, you know, bad movies go to go to die. Uh, but then it got pretty decent reviews. I know it's like hanging around 80% or so at Rotten Tomatoes. Jacob, what were your overall impressions of the movie? Well, first of all, this is our first Coen Brother movie to review, so that's kind of cool for us. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all pretty big fans of the Coen Brothers here. For sure, yeah. Uh, like Tarantino, for me, they're hit and miss every once in a while. They're hit and miss for me as well. <laughs> and, um, and But and generally, I, I love their movies, how they're shot, you know, kind of their, their humor in them. Yeah. Uh, there's always a lot of black comedy. They actually bring in pretty good violence with some of their movies as well, which I, you know, enjoyed that too. We didn't get that with Hell Caesar. Uh, by the way, we always do spoilers here, so yeah. just remember. <laughs> but we didn't get that with Hell Caesar, but still, there are definitely some, you know, Coenisms going on throughout it. Um, and to kind of talk a little bit more about what the what the plot actually was, so simply we have, you know, Josh Brolin, who's the main character, and he's he's the fixer of this, uh, you know, Capitol Studios. And really how the movie's marketed is that they're all trying to solve this kidnapping of George Clooney's character, Baird Whitlock. Mm -hmm. 
who is playing this Caesar role in this Hail Caesar movie. Um, that's how it was marketed as. And so with that, there'd be this big plot behind kind of solving that. You know, it kind of plays as like a uh, neo-noir kind of uh, whodunit type movie when in all actuality, it's just Josh Brolin dealing with about four or five different, and when I mean actors, I mean literally actors, whether it's played by, you know, Alden Ehrenrich, who I don't really know much about, uh, Ray Fiennes, who's a director, Scarlett Johansson, who plays Deanna Morin, who's an actress. Anyway, he's dealing with their issues, you know, pretty much equally throughout the Channing whole movie. Tatum. Channing Tatum's another one. That's a, that's a pretty big one um, as well. So it's more about um, Josh Brolin's character than it really is about George Clooney or all the rest of them trying to figure out George Clooney's problem. Which I was misled a little bit by the completely trailers. misleading, yeah, completely yeah. misleading. Honestly, when I heard it was coming out in February, I thought it was kind of a big red, big red flag. Yeah, so you're the same way I was. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, my overall feelings about the movie is that I thought it fell really flat. I, I know exactly what they were going for, and I appreciate what they were trying to do, especially showing like old like 1951 Hollywood and what it was like to shoot, whether it was a western, a musical. Um, the women dancing in the water, synchronized swimming. Um, I, I see what they're trying to do, but ultimately I wasn't a big fan of the movie, even with all the actors they brought to the stage. I just thought it, it felt extremely flat and there was really not much of a plot to it. Interesting. I think that we're going to have three completely different views this time. This is going to be fun. Rachel, what were your overall impressions of it? I actually liked it quite a bit, which I know is not really the popular opinion with this movie but um i thought it was a lot of fun actually and it and there wasn't really a plot but i didn't necessarily have a problem with that if you look at inside lewin davis didn't really have a plot it's a guy that goes along has a bad time continues to have but, a bad but time but ends stuck, having a bad it time stuck with lewin davis it did it was time. just the one character and, 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 yeah i think it was his journey to try to make it do you remember our to... conversation after we saw inside lewin davis we were like what was the point of that we had this conversation brandon I and i it wasn't at all what we were expecting from the coen brothers and then we saw it and we were like what was the point of that and we initially didn't like the movie and then rewatching it liked it more mm-hmm. um I didn't. That's true, Rachel. <clears throat> it is true, Brandon. I didn't have a problem with it not having a plot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, and I enjoyed watching it. And um, I liked getting to see all the different, the Western and Hail Caesar movie and the synchronized swimming. That uh, scene with Channing Tatum was awesome. Yeah, impressive. Was, like, yeah, really impressive. That was, that was a fantastic scene. That was the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So I really liked it, actually. To turn us real quick, just to piggyback on what you just said um, when you were comparing it to Lewin Davis, I actually thought it reminded me a lot of Inherent Vice. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Just because there were so many characters in and out of that whole story, and inevitably nothing really happened. There was Inherent Vice, I thought, was so weird, though, that I couldn't stay with it. Like, it just got so bizarre that I couldn't stay with it, and that was not the case with Hell Caesar. Yeah. I thought that uh, I'm somewhere in the middle of you guys. I enjoy, I enjoyed segments of the movie. Like I love that Shannon Tatum scene. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I was. Uh, I love that scene. I could have watched an hour and a half of that. His dancing was great. Everybody was dancing, and it was funny. It was it was fun. I was thoroughly, uh, and the the cowboy scene was great. And then yeah. him rehearsing and keep screwing up. How he kept screwing up when he became a dramatic actor. <laughs> I thought that was great. Like all the different little parts of the movie. 
I liked. That was very Cohen. Yeah, I mean, it was. To me. Yeah, but, it was. But my issue is definitely that there was no real plot. I mean, it was it was kind of fun to see the fixer and all the issues that were going along. I really didn't like the subplot with the communist kidnapping. I didn't necessarily think that was a great like I mystery mean, I, or a yeah that was the one i was least interested in actually out of all of them in. and it was supposed to be uh, it was kind of the crux of the whole movie like as far as the main that's the main how they marketed it as issue. right and and i expected it to be focused i kept because of how it was marketed i kept kind of expecting that young actor the the hobie doyle to somehow make it into hell caesar like oh he was failing here so we'll put him I in guess... here i kept expecting it to all come back to the caesar movie and it to be that be the driving force behind the movie. Once I figured out, like halfway through, the, or like three fourths, two thirds through the movie, it's like, oh, so we're just basically watching Josh Brolin fix up some issues. Okay, that's cool. I'm having kind of a good time with this movie, but I don't really care. I don't really. But like, I guess. But no, Josh, no, but Josh Brolin really never had any kind of an arc either, though. No, he, he didn't. never had a freak that's out moment. Saying, he stayed is... the same in character the entire movie, and it was very just. Flat. I mean, broad. I mean, there was no depth, I thought, to his character at all. No, there wasn't. I think maybe a big difference between my opinion and y'all's opinion is that I did win in not knowing what it was about at all. Not knowing what to expect. I didn't expect it to be about George Clooney. I didn't expect it to be about anyone in particular. I had no idea what I was walking into. So maybe you guys just saw more about it before you walked in than I did. So I didn't have a... You you didn't see the trailer? uh, I like would kind of have it on, but I never really like analyzed the trailer to try to figure out what was going on. I didn't really try to analyze like just based on the trailer, it looked like Josh Brolin worked for the studio. George Clooney kind of goes missing and it's a mystery. It almost seemed like a LA confidential without the violence, like this fun old era Hollywood mystery who done it. There's lots of different cast of characters involved, and they're all going to be interwoven in their story. I thought all their stories were going to interconnect at the end. I'm like, oh, well, crap. These stories aren't it interconnecting. Didn't it's have just a bunch of anything. completely loose stories that weren't connected at all. Yeah. The only connection was they were all happening at the studio, which, again, maybe had to do with expectations. If my expectations, if I knew that, I probably would have enjoyed it more. But at the same time, I probably would have been like, mm, okay, well, cool. It was beautiful to look at. I almost felt like it was like an homage to – it felt like a Wes Anderson movie almost more than a Coen Brothers movie. Just the way it was – I mean, I know the Coen Brothers have done this before. But the way it was shot and kind of the quirkiness of it, it almost – I almost felt like I was watching more of a Wes Anderson movie. I can than see a, that. Than a I still Coen thought Brothers it was very Coen-y. Well, the uh, the cinematographer. All right, so it's Roger Deakins. He's done pretty much all of their movies. He did Shawshank. He did Skyfall. He did A Beautiful Mind. He did Sicario, uh, Prisoners. Uh, the guy's done other movies like Jarhead mm-hmm. and um, oh, whatever. The guy's got a good resume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been around for a long time. He's been nominated like thirteen times. And so, and yeah, that's why I said it was it's technically beautiful. beautifully well done. There's some. Amazing shot. Say uh, Channing Tatum standing on the boat waiting for the submarine to come out of the water. Which was that hilarious. was a beautiful like shot. Oh, well, Channing so Tatum. And we'll have to talk about him specifically yeah. in a minute. He That was great. But that shot was beautiful. Really, the whole um, synchronized swimming was a really pretty scene. It was. Uh, even if you look, think about the lo- the moonlight when they were shooting that Western scene, like it was, it was beautifully shot. It was. But is that enough? You know? And, you know, I wrote this down in some of my notes. 
Like, can there be too many inside jokes? Which is, I feel like happens a lot. Like, it's kind of the Coen brothers just laughing at themselves here. Especially and, when it's a movie about a movie, movie making. Right. And, and that, I mean, there are things I really thought were pretty cool, like Francis McDormand doing the editing thing. Like, that's actually a nod to some historical elements. Um, really, so many things working in the studios. Like, I, I love, I appreciated what they were trying to do there, but it still just didn't work as a story for me. It just was a, a, a random group of stories kind of bunched together almost in a way it's a pretty version of like movie 43 or something like that yeah. just an excuse to put a bunch <laughs> of really good actors in one movie directed by some good directors that does nothing well and what was interesting too <laughs> about all the different actors like Jonah Hill like it was a cameo I thought like and again that's just expectation he's it's in it for fine. less than two minutes yeah less than two minutes his was basically a cameo um, but hey he ended up with Scarlett Johansson so. yeah they needed more Worth Scarlett it. Johansson. That Worth movie definitely it. needed more Scarlett Johansson in a bikini. Uh, but like a lot of these people I thought were going to be major players really weren't. And that's fine, but I just my expectations were different. I thought we'd see more of him. I thought we'd see more of Krumholtz. Uh, I mean, there was um, even Frances McDormand. I mean, they were, they were basically all cameos. Frances McDormand had one of the best scenes of the movie. She did, but she and in she's only in it for three minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my favorite character. I was pretty probably, impressed with that kid. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. How do you was, say his name? Uh, I'm not sure. Tisha Ronan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have to look that one up. But the kid who played Hobie Doyle. I love uh, him. We're going to say Alden Aaron, Aaron, right? Yeah, he was my favorite. He and Channing Tatum yeah. were my two favorites uh, in the whole movie. Uh, this kid was was he was really funny and and he was a sweet kid and I liked his character a lot. He was also in Blue Jasmine, Stoker, Beautiful Creatures. Say your line exactly as I'm about to. Just as I'm about to do. Sure. Okay. Would that it were so simple? 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 My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say it were? Well, you should say it like I said it. Yes. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it would that it was a sample? Watch, watch my mouth. Would that it was a sample? Would that it was a sample? Keep your head still. Would that it was a sample? Would that it was a sample? Would that it was a sample? I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence. Lawrence, hmm? I thought a minute ago it was Lawrence. No, we can use Christian names, my good dear boy. Lawrence is fine, just as I call you, Hobie. Okay. So, would that it was a sample? George Clooney's character is just kind of. He was just kind of there. It's like, another I George Clooney character in yeah, a Cohen movie, just playing a goofball. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and what my problem was was he was a goofball, but he wasn't goofy enough to really be funny. And he was kind of no. a, he was it's kind of because he was buddying up with these these communists, yeah. who's kidnapped him, and then and he he's just so be, oblivious to what's going on around him. He was him. kind of dense, yeah. but not enough to be funny. Right? Like, it was just kind of like his character was just kind of like bland. Yes. Like I felt like, are you supposed to be funny, or are you supposed to be a jerk? You're not really funny enough to be funny. That's You're funny because really you could, you could say the jerk. same thing for really a lot of the characters in this movie. You could say the same thing for Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And you could almost say the same thing for Channing Tatum. Yeah. You know, are you supposed to be funny? Are you supposed to be uh, intimidating or a threat? I mean, because they all act, both of those, all three of those, or I'll say four of them, even if I want to include uh, Josh Brolin in it, you know, there just wasn't much depth to any of these characters. And then the subplot with Josh Brolin and the other job he was being offered, like it didn't go anywhere. And he just kind of like because because there was no real storyline. I don't know like what that added. Like it was just I guess it was just kind of showing. I don't know. 
Did, did you all see this in a big audience? A big uh, Was there a lot of people um, there? Not a ton. Average, average half full, maybe? Not even that much. I had one guy um, purposely say out loud, I want my money back. Oh, I'm not surprised. uh, General audiences are going to hate this I've read how people walked out, but like really, no one really laughed in my audience. Um, Uh, It wasn't very full. We laughed a lot. No, I did laugh. I didn't laugh at all. I thought there was like Channing Tatum legitimately made me laugh a few times. Um, there's a few things that made me Brandon laugh. and I were definitely the only ones like we really ones. audibly cracking Let's up. Let's say it was a third mm. fool. We were the only ones laughing. At the end, we heard people say like, you know, sometimes a movie will end and there's like a WTF. You hear like an audible throughout the movie. People right. are like, what did I just watch? Yeah. That's oh, audiences are going to hate it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I don't really have much more to say. <laughs> I, I mean, if there's anyone specifically you all want to talk about, we can, but I don't really have much more to add. It's, I mean, it's it's just that kind of a movie. It's that kind of a humor. You may or may not like it. Probably majority won't. Um, no, if I you w- can appreciate, you know, what they are trying to go for is showing like, you know, 1951 Hollywood. Uh, that's that, that's pretty cool. But, you know, it, I would be surprised that, you know, the percentages who do or don't like it. Now, the critics, I mean, I read a lot of articles about it today and almost all of them are positive. Like they, right. I, they all really enjoy I think, it. I think the general consensus is it's not it's definitely not the best Coen Brothers film. Yeah. It'll be near closer to the bottom of their canon than than towards yeah. the top, but it was still a good movie. It kind of like Hateful Eight, like it wasn't yeah, Tarantino's best, but critics still liked it. It's just below what he normally does. Right. I feel like that's how this was. But general honest is definitely, you know, a lot of Coen brothers are really pretty polarizing with, with audiences. I think that, you know, critics usually go gaga over the Coen brothers and they're just like, this one's pretty good. Right. And then audiences usually like the Coen brothers, but they lose some people. I feel like this, they let, lost most people. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Especially, it's funny enough for broad audiences. I don't think there's a good enough story for broad audiences. Well, and with all those stars, I just don't think a broad audience is expecting what they're getting at no. all. They're like, oh, all these big stars. Yeah. Well, and they but, probably expected Channing Tatum, Scarlett Johansson, Jonah Hill to play major roles. Even George Clooney wasn't a major right. role. I mean, like, yeah. it was a true ensemble. Josh Brolin was really the only one that got a lot of screen time. So if you're going in to see Clooney, Tatum, Hill, Scarlett, I mean, you're going to be disappointed. And, you know, for the technical aspects that people like us enjoy, that we can find some sort of redeeming value out of this movie – General audiences don't care. No. They're not going to be like, oh, well, that was really shot well and you know the cinematography was so pretty. Like They're, they're just yeah. like, well, that movie was stupid. Well, and one more thing that I just thought of that they were trying to make in the movie. They even say it. George Clooney says it to Josh Brolin's character, which was that, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's like the studio makes pictures to serve the masses. Yeah. So like it's they try to make a statement at the very end of the movie that mm-hmm. it's art versus, you know, meeting the masses. Right. Yeah. And so which one's better because, you know, because try to make money versus make an artistic film. But I feel like it was way too late when they tried to make that point. Yeah. Did y'all kind of catch that as well? Yeah, yeah. I did catch it. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because it really kind of, it's almost an inside joke within this movie. Like even speaking, you could relate it to this movie. Sure. Itself. Like because a lot of those movies in 19, in, in that time period were to yeah they were musicals westerns yeah. I mean they were trying to meet those masses yeah. and really just kind of selling out instead of making you know yeah. artistic film the only stuff I really cared about was when they were shooting a movie I thought all that stuff was really cool when they were shooting a movie but as far as the right. actual storyline of this movie goes I couldn't care less yeah and like when they were talking about like you know those themes about you know art versus 
you know, that's when Josh Brolin slaps him across the face, yeah. and he's like, "Hey, the studio takes care of you." You know, we we and they were in their own sense like kind of a communist type yeah. character because you know they could or couldn't say who you married. You know, right. you know, Scarlett Johansson's character, they couldn't. They would hire on an actor for ten films, and they were yeah. contracted, you know, to do so. And so it kind of showed the control that the studios did have back then. And so that was like a little nod to you know yeah. fifty, sixty years ago in film. Yeah, but. I think it was. Still, I think know. it was a missed. Here, here's the last thing I want to say about it. I think it was a missed opportunity from this standpoint. Everything could have been tied in together if they would have kept the whole George Clooney kidnapping a mystery, and that be the kind of the central force behind it. But still, show us all these little, you know, movies that are being shot, all the little genres, all the fun Hollywood stuff that's going on, and Josh Brolin's kind of the, you know, the thing that connects them all. But if that would have, if it would have been truly a mystery from point A when it starts to point B, and it's kind of a whodunit throughout, and maybe you know Hobie plays a part in it, and right. Scarlett plays a part in it, and like, trying to figure out this mystery, and then it's kind of solved at the end, that would have been a really, really yeah. cool movie. There'd be I a really path that to movie. go through. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. It certainly was a missed opportunity. But I think we're kind of all over the place. You really didn't like it. You really did like it, and I'm somewhere in the middle. Fair enough. What did you give it, like, since you liked it so much? 8.5. Really? You liked it a lot. I liked it quite a bit. I really had fun with this movie. I My main problem, I agree, was with George Clooney's character and everything they did with his storyline. That was the worst part of the whole movie. Was, sure. But every other part of the movie I was really pretty interested in, including Joss Brolin's just watching him herd cats of dealing with people's egos. And, yeah, that was like, fun. All, I thought it was a really interesting look, and I thought that seeing the way they made old movies was really interesting i really loved hobie i thought that yeah, he was hobie a great was awesome. character yeah so i mean like i agree there were some missed opportunities in there is definitely not a perfect movie by any means and it's not even my favorite coen brothers movie but maybe because i went expecting not knowing what to expect at all i came out with a different perspective than you guys did that's fair if you if you read like it's funny reading like message board stuff about it it's people are really pretty all over the place kind of like we were all right, that is Pulp Fiction on Hail Caesar. We'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Um, be sure to let us know on our Facebook or hit us up um, on our SoundCloud comments. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what we've been watching this past week or so, though. Other movies, uh, TV shows, you know, we're kind of in award season with the Oscars coming up and, and the new year has started. What have you guys been watching? Jacob. Uh, I've watched quite a bit, but I'm only going to talk about uh, about two or three movies here. Okay. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is about Ellie. It's a Iranian film that was uh, directed by the same director who did um, a separation. A separation, thank which you. I loved. Uh, his name is I'm trying to say it correctly here. Asghar Farhadi. Um, it's probably Akshar Farhadi. <laughs> uh, I'm half Persian, so <coughs> it's not really good. Gonna, yeah, thank you. Yeah, just gotta. <laughs> but to, to, to describe describe what the movie is, is that it's the mysterious disappearance of a kindergarten teacher during a picnic in the north of Iran is followed by a series of misadventures of her fellow travelers. What I really like about this director is that I think he captures, I think, what a lot of people would generally react to a situation. Yes. So when you talk about a separation, like they all seem very authentic. You yes. Know? And, and the same thing happened here. This but girl, like a very very real movie. Yes, and this girl goes missing. There are you know there's, if you want to call it eight couples that go kind of on a weekend retreat it's almost correct but two of them are single 
And the one that that goes missing is one of the single. It's a she's a single female who's really not supposed to be there. Um, and there are I'm not going to spoil this, but there are some elements behind why she's not. So there's really a mystery they're trying to solve is why where she, where'd she go? On the one hand, they think maybe she got swept away by the sea. And then on the other hand, they thought maybe she just left and didn't tell anybody. So they're trying to solve these problems uh, to get to the bottom of where she is. The practicalities that come throughout the, you know, it's a two-hour movie makes sense. Uh, you know, trying to contact her family or calling the police to investigate, you know, if she did get swept out to sea. And just the reactions throughout it are really, really good. It, I, I thought it was a really solid movie. Um, it wasn't a huge, you know... Um, fallout in the end but i was okay with that because it kind of was like that in a separation as well it just uh, it just a lot of it kind of made sense in the end but that's kind of how that's what i appreciate about a separation and why i would probably like that too is because instead of giving a big grand ending to like kind of go out on some note like it probably just ends more realistically how you know because in life it's not always gonna be some big grand right ending it's just gonna happen how it'll happen in a way it's kind of like bridge of spies where uh you know it wasn't again like this huge fallout spielberg type film it's just telling a story a very mm-hmm. quick story of this very short period of time you know mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happened at about la as well I'm, I'm guessing either one of you have seen it no but i want to yeah. i really like that director yeah it, it was good uh another movie i, I got to see was uh, anomalisa which was uh charlie kaufman's I want to say it's his first directing movie, but I'm not 100% on that. But if you're not familiar with Charlie Kaufman, he wrote um, one of my personal favorites, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He's, he wrote uh, Adaptation, which I love, being yeah. John Malkovich, yeah. Synecdoche, uh, New York, which I've never seen, but I've always wanted to. But I know a lot of his movies are very dense. They're yeah. very, you know, you got to pay attention. Or there's a lot of underlying themes, like involving the purpose of man and or relationships or, you know, trying to figure out the inner self of, uh, of people's minds or why they do what they do. Right. And you have the exact same thing with Anomaly. So what's so... Uh, Interesting about Anomalisa in particular is that it's a animation slash stop motion film, and how these characters look are so unique. You know, the only other closest thing to stop motion I can think of is Rudolph Red Nosed Reindeer. Well, yeah, there's that too, <laughs> but no, um, uh, Team America. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. So. And I mean, it really, which isn't a, yeah, yeah, it really isn't a terrible movie either. Uh, but it's just like how they handle, you know, these stop motion films. I mean, actually, the human responses throughout this movie are amazing. Like for a puppet, it's almost masterful how they have these reactions for a stop motion animation. It's unbelievable. Um, really, there's not a whole lot of characters to it. There's actually only three actors. You have David oh. Thewlis, who's the main voice. Um, Michael Stone is the main character in this movie, voiced by David Thewlis, who, you know, he was one of the professors in the Harry Potter movies. Right. Um, he's the one that turns into a werewolf. I can't think of his name in that movie. Oh, um, that's David Thewlis. Yeah. The the female in it's voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee, who's obviously having a very good yeah, year. Yeah, she came out of nowhere. Like, uh-huh. she Back from the dead, or maybe she's been on a TV show that I didn't I, know maybe, about. Maybe, yeah. And then all the other voices in the movie are voiced by Tom Noonan, which is really cool because what this character is doing through day-to-day, he just... Well, actually, that's the thing. Everything is day-to-day, and it's monotonous. And really, when anyone talks to him, it just all sounds like, wah, 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 just like the <laughs> Peanuts character. Yeah. 
And in, in this case, it's Tom Noonan voicing everything, whether it's a female or a male, huh. Tom Noonan is voicing their voices. So that's, that's cool. how this guy hears everything. And it's just routine, routine, hmm. routine. He's actually he credited upon, as everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And so he, until he comes upon this this woman who has this unique voice, and it's Jennifer Jason Lee, and he's drawn to her. And it's like that's the only thing that matters. And so, you know, you have to kind of look past because there is a very awkward puppet sex scene which again <laughs> goes back to the team america stuff but what was kind of interesting about it is like you know, in most movies where there's a sex scene you have an actor or actress who you know spent three months working out and getting the hair perfect right and looking perfect for the scene and then you have this puppet sex scene which is you know from a certain perspective was, was a little bit more real than what you see in i most thought you were gonna say hot <laughs> no, it was awkward. Very awkward. Uh, very awkward. And it, I mean, the movie theater was silence where I was at, I think, because no one really knew how to respond to what they were trying to get away with. And then you heard it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but moving on from it, just where Charlie Kaufman goes, the depths of this movie, it's interesting. You know, it, it, I gave, I think I gave it about a seven in the end because there are things I still just didn't like about it. But I have thought quite a lot about it, and usually that's a sign of something. There's a lot, and which, as with most of his movies, it just looks so freaky to me. The stop animation, like it's that weird in between. They call it. There's a word for it. There's a there's a phrase for it. Ah, there's a phrase for this that when something looks like it's in between. Um, animation or fiction and then real life humans do you know what that is it's something like the valley the something anyways it really freaks me out is what I'm trying to say (laughs) this animation Uh, but they say that I mean this is like Inside Out's only competition for best animated picture of the year they say it's that good I haven't seen it yet I don't think I don't think everyone will like it Um, it's certainly not a children's movie this movie's rated R I mean there's F-bombs all over the place in it for anyone who thinks it could be that no (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even sure if it's a date movie because of some the awkwardness of that sex scene. Like I would say a first date movie for sure. <laughs> but um, like I said, it definitely dives into that psyche, that, you know, meaning of yourself and your purpose. Is there that one person out for you? And so many things like that. For that part, it's really interesting. And I am curious to get y'all's take on it when you eventually do see it. Yeah, I will see it for sure. I wanted to see it just because of all the buzz on it. Yeah, I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan, primarily for Adaptation and uh, Eternal Sunshine. So pretty much anything he does, I'll always go see. Here, I want to Here, it's called Uncanny Valley. There's, there's a whole phenomenon. It's like been researched. It's basically um, there's a dip in human psyche that we consider creepy when something it's a hypothesis in the field of aesthetics which holds that when features look and move almost but not exactly like natural beings it causes a response of revulsion amongst human observers the valley refers to the dip in a graph of the comfort level of beings as subjects move toward a healthy natural likeness described in a function of a subject's aesthetic acceptability examples can be found in the field of robotics 3d animation basically When inanimate objects, animation, robots, whatever, look and feel human, like there's an actual study of our psychosis. That's what we consider creepy. Uh, it's almost it's like so a phobia. Like, yeah, it's like a phobia. Like it's a, it's a. There's a whole thing on it. I, I looked it up. There's, I mean, you can see there's a whole thing. It's called Uncanny Valley. Hmm. Look it up. I have to look time. into it some more. Yeah. 
Okay, so the last one I want to talk about is the Danish girl, which I'm still guessing neither one of you have seen yet. No, no. I haven't yet. Okay, it's Tom Hooper's, I, be, I believe is his third movie. I know it's at least his third movie that's popular or that's well-known. His first other being The King's Speech, which I loved, and then Les Miserables, yeah. which, or Les Mis, or how do you say it? The Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> Les that Miserables. just was what it was. It's just I a depressing it. movie. He's so good at capturing colors. He's a great director, I think. And there's a lot of things in The Danish Girl that's really similar to The King's Speech, especially how he directed it. Whether it's, really it's set decorations, how walls are painted and then they're texturized. And they're either like a really pretty blue, I think, in King's Speech it was a lot of yellows and grays. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really you know, as far as technical or set decorations, similarities in a lot of his work. So Danish Girl, uh, it's a fictitious love story loosely inspired by the lives of Danish artists um, Lily Elby and Gerda Wagner. Uh, Lily and Gerda's marriage and work evolve as they navigate Lily's groundbreaking journey as a transgender pioneer. I mean, it is, so it is in essence the true story of the very first transgender operation. But there's so much more to it than that because that happens more towards the end of the film. It's kind of how it stars Eddie Redmayne and Alicia Vikander, now, and they're both up for you know Oscars in this movie. She's up for a supporting actress, which I completely disagree because she's in the movie just as much as Eddie Redmayne is, right. and I think if not more, I think she was excellent in this film. Honestly. As much as he drives me insane, Eddie Redmayne was really good in this as well. And he's just a good actor. Yes. If you cast him in the right roles. And <laughs> he he does a great job of kind of mimicking well in the beginning, you know, he he doesn't really come off as someone who might consider himself as transgender. They're both artists and, you know, Alicia Vikander's character, her basically her Her model doesn't show up, and she needs him to kind of, you know, just kind of throw on some leggings and just pose so she can paint something. And he kind of just gets enamored with that and explores it more and more. And and I won't say takes it too far, but then really goes down this journey of, hey, this is who I really am. And, you know, I, I, I learned a little bit about it, actually more so from Rachel, about how transgender kind of works, because there are things that I'm not so... <laughs> that sounded really that funny. That is really bad. <laughs> not bad, just... Things that uh, I just didn't understand that. <laughs> I <don't know>. um, <laughs> I'm not transgender. Because, because there is a... Um, a split, Rachel used to be a man, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> there was a split personality uh, part of the, of the movie that I didn't, I, I didn't know about with transgenders. And Rachel just said, yeah, that's actually a, a, a normal thing. Yeah, they, I, they identify whatever their, their natural sex was. And the the sex change, they identify these people as two different people. Yeah, and they speak in the third person. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was really distracting in the movie. But now that I know that, it's like, okay, well, it's more forgiving. Because I was pretty annoyed in the movie when they kept talking in the third persons. But then now that I know that's actually a real thing, it's like, okay, well, I, that's a little bit more forgiving. Ultimately, look, it's not an easy watch. If I, I don't think it's an easy watch for a lot of people because it's because of the subject matter. Um and even for someone who is transgender, I mean, still, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a topic, it's just a tricky topic, and I appreciate what they're going for, I appreciate the story they're trying to tell, but, you know, it wasn't completely for me. From a technical standpoint, I thought it was excellent. From an acting standpoint, I thought it was excellent. I mean, really have no, no complaints about any of that. As far as the story goes, personally, it's not for me, but I'm not saying a lot of people wouldn't like it. See, but that lines up exactly with what, the the awards buzz and critics have really been saying because 
you know, costumes, technical, acting, all those Dude, things. The costume design it, is amazing. It, yeah, it killed in all those categories, but zero Best Picture nominees in any Precursor Awards or the Academy Awards. It never got nominated for Best Picture, but it kept getting nominated for the Acting Awards and the Technical Awards. Yeah. So... Other than that, I want to bring up one quick thing. I did go see Star Wars for the fourth time, but I took my sister's kids this time, or we we all took all the little kids, and so I hadn't seen it with kids who hadn't seen it at all. So to watch uh, a five-year-old, a six-year-old's reaction, uh, there was also a two-and-a-half-year-old there, was hilarious. Did they like it? It was so much fun. I was so excited for them. Yes, they loved it because I was basically revisiting what I believe – and hope my first time of viewing those movies were like, yeah, you know, at that age. I mean, it was it was awesome. I almost got choked up in no, a way that's because so cool. that's because of you know my love for movies, movies and the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. It was yeah. so fun to watch them. So, did they have a favorite character or anything or a favorite scene? Well, honestly, they just kept asking where Darth Vader or Luke was uh, and yeah. things like that, yeah. and so they didn't quite grasp that it's a new generation. Whereas yeah. we had thirty years to think about this. Yeah, you know, they just got through watching all these all the original trilogy in the last couple of months. So okay. they don't understand that gap yeah. in time. Yeah. And I'm not even sure if they grasp like why Han Solo has gray hair all of a sudden. Yeah. Right. You know, heck the two and a half year old just want to know whose mommy and daddy was whose. Yeah. <laughs> even BB eight and her too. Like, yeah. is that his mommy? You know, yeah. so she, she just didn't understand that, but they still, their reaction to Kylo Ren or some of the jumps, you know, which oh, I didn't yeah. think much of, but there are some pretty good jumps in there. Say, like when she touches the lightsaber, I thought Charlie was going to flip backwards in his chair. I, I jumped uh, a little on that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it was just really, really fun. And and again, fourth viewing, I just loved it. So, do you think that was your final viewing at the big screen? Or at the like, big screen, yeah. Okay, I'm done. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. Rachel, what have you watched this week? Um, I haven't watched a whole lot. Honestly, there is a movie that we both watched there that is. we could talk about. Uh, and we will. I've watched a little bit of TV that I just want to mention. I have watched the first two episodes of uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Which okay. Is, yes, that's a TV series on... USA? It's on FX. FX. Okay. Uh, I was confusing it with Mr. Robot. My general take on it, two episodes in, is it's really weird to see these... N- actors that you're that you know play people that you know who they are in real life um buying cuba gooding jr as oj simpson is really weird but i think i think they're all doing a good job it's just a little jarring to try to picture these people as people you saw in real life um, i thought it was really weird cast to have cuba gooding jr as oj simpson he's doing pretty good is he okay I, I really i think everybody's doing a pretty good job it's just it's weird it's weird to get past that and see them as their characters every single one of these people from john travolta to um uh i mean ross is in it yeah uh david schwimmer david schwimmer uh sarah Paulson, uh kardashian uh, uh john travolta's shapiro uh, keeping you juniors, O.J. Simpson. So, uh, oh, uh, Sarah Paulson is. Yeah, you weren't listening. You're looking at your Marshall. phone, but I mentioned all that before. Oh, my bad. We knocked it out of the park. Called out. Uh, but anyway, it's a it's pretty interesting. I was obviously alive when that happened, but too young to really grasp what was going on. I knew O.J. Simpson as an actor, not as football player. I remember the Bronco chase being on TV. I remember the. 
the case or the uh, trial happening. And obviously, I remembered the outrage for the verdict. But beyond that, I didn't know any details about this. And so uh, really, the most interesting part to me has been learning all of the details of the OJ case. Even things like the glove and the phone calls, even when she was still alive, Mm -hmm. about by she about her life being threatened and like no one did anything you didn't know a lot of I, that stuff I didn't know anything at all I was pretty young when That's all crazy. this went down so it's I mean, been kind of I guess it was what 91 93 I'd ask Brandon but he's looking at his phone I don't know I don't know exactly when it went down but I was pretty young when it happened and didn't really grasp what was going on so it's been kind of fascinating from that aspect and it's made by Ryan Murphy who made Scream Queens uh, American Horror Story Glee so it's a well made it's it's well made. So I need to check it two out. Two episodes in, I think it's worth checking out at least, for sure. And then Brandon and I can cover the movie that we saw. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, well I told you that um uh there was a movie that I was excited to, to talk about on this show. You know, because there's certain movies that uh we'll talk about beforehand that I just love to get your reaction from. You get really excited about when we talk about them because you've seen <laughs> them or because there's been some sort of hype. So I wanted to uh, get your reaction. We we saw uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. He's exasperated. I know. And I had, uh. to, I had to do the build-up because he was like really getting excited. Like, ooh, what did they watch that I suggested? It's going to be really good. And I pulled the rug out from under. Man, I, I saw that trailer and I was like, that's <laughs> angry angry that they, they would even think about coming out with this movie or stealing that using that name and associate it with zombies but whatever <laughs> tell me about this movie uh, you know it was it was weird because you would think it reminded me of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter when you put two things like that or that are so you know polar opposite it seems like they would go really campy and funny and cheesy and tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But what's weird is they didn't really do that here. They didn't. It was almost like a serious, like if zombies really were to happen. But here's the deal. No need to call it Pride and Prejudice. That's it. At all. That's it the had, thing. It really, other than using the characters' names and being set in the same time period, had nothing to do with Pride and Prejudice at all. The characters were not the same people. Yeah. Uh, were Was there any elements of pride and or prejudice they, against zombies like i'm being half serious when i ask that yeah like, can they was. justify the pride or whatever there was yeah <laughs> i mean that there, there but was very like a stupid specific, question but, but they were very specifically like hey this is your pride and you're being prejudiced like yeah i mean they outright they said it, out. it. They that yeah. sounds so it out. brutal you all they spelled <laughs> it out they did spell it out and it was i mean there was like a there was two different societies. Like, should we accept the zombies and try to live with the zombies? We're going to be prejudiced. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it wasn't. I wish it would have been. Is that, that like ridiculous. true bloodish? <laughs> well, no, I wish it, it wasn't been, ridiculous. It was the thing. Been, there's a couple moments where I thought like the only really ridiculous part was when the girls were like fighting. I felt like that was like purposely. Well, let's back up a second kinda, because I remember from the trailers, there's girls using swords. Yes. So. I'm assuming these women don't have... Well, yeah, Elizabeth Bennett. That's her name. So, And there's a Mr. Darcy in this movie. Yes. So they did steal the names. Yes. And so these sisters, I'm assuming, are out there killing zombies with swords? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. But, it, you know, okay. So it was stupid, but overall it was kind of a enjoyable. It was never boring. It was actually... Okay, here's what I would say. Technically, it was actually pretty I well done. I love February movies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was actually technically well done. It was just... I wish it would have been either funny 
or really good, and it was neither. It was kind of an interesting watch, but it was neither a well-done movie like A Pride and Prejudice or really over-the-top dorky because it's doing zombies. Isn't that what you thought? Yeah, agreed. <laughs> but I kind of had a good time with it. It was fine. It was fine. It was. It was. I think I gave it. It was a, just kind of there. It was. It was a February movie. Yep. I think. I think I ended up giving it five or six, maybe. Yeah. Just because I, I didn't hate it, but I have no desire to ever see that again. I wouldn't recommend anybody waste their time watching it. But I'm. I mean, I'm fine with the hour and forty minutes I sat there and watched it. <laughs> that I'll never get back. <laughs> It wasn't as ridiculous as I thought it would be. I guess I'll say it. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Agreed. So that is what we've watched this week. Be sure to tune in next week because we are going to discuss Deadpool, Marvel's latest. And uh, it's getting pretty good I'm reviews. The early getting buzz. getting more and more and more excited about Me too, this. which scares me yeah. because like my expectations had completely dropped to the floor. February movie hadn't really had any reviews coming in but now reviews are saying it's good i thought the early trailers looked stupid i was excited but really since last year because i saw a lot of the pre-marketing that ryan reynolds was trying to do yeah and uh i'm pretty jacked to see it and i actually think that the character in itself is an interesting character he is is. they just destroyed it in the uh the wolverine yes uh, movie that he was in But Ryan Reynolds is perfect for this role. So we're going to discuss Deadpool next week. That's going to be a fun show. Be sure to listen to our other podcasts, our top five podcasts, as we'll be counting down our top five characters of 2015. Thanks for listening.